0: We're going to be in Acts chapter 2 as we continue our series in the book of Acts, as we continue to look at what it means to see the Spirit at work to the ends of the earth. It's great to be here with you this morning. And, and what we're looking at this morning in Acts chapter 2, starting in verses 13, will connect and coordinate with um, very much through the beginning of the book or up the chapter of 2. As this is, we're going to preach on a sermon. So Peter gives us this nice long sermon. And so we'll be going through his sermon piece by piece. And uh, this is the sermon that actually launched the church of Jesus Christ. We had what happened at Pentecost. um, And uh, with that moment, my iPad is wanting to take a picture here. Smile. You guys look great. I don't know what's going on there. Um. But we at Pentecost, we have the story of when Jesus, or when the Holy Spirit came to empower the church and came in a really fascinating, incredible way. Jesus had said, don't leave Jerusalem until my spirit comes. And this is the moment at Pentecost, beginning of Acts chapter two, where the spirit comes. And he comes in a very interesting way. And if you've been around God for very long, you know that this, sometimes you're like, you say things like, you know what? The Lord spoke to me. And it was... It was a little weird. It felt a little weird. a little different. This is exactly how the Holy Spirit came with said tongues of fire resting on people's heads. We, um, in our car, because we're so spiritual as a family, we had this conversation this last couple of weeks about um, the song, Raining Tacos. Anyone ever heard the song? It's raining tacos up out of the sky. It's raining tacos. No need to ask why, right? And you have this image in this song, and one of us was singing it, and we were asking the question, how, again, thinking how weird it was that tacos could rain down from the sky. What else would be weird if it rained down from the sky? And this is exactly why you have children, to help you with these kinds of insights. And uh, some of the really powerful insights that I received from my children I wanted to share with you. Um, number one, uh, will be very interesting Run down from the side bouncy balls. Wouldn't that be interesting? Paint? Can you imagine if paint was raining down from the sky? Or how? How about this one? Blobfish. What if blobfish were raining down from the sky? And then uh, one of my younger son says this: What if it was raining Hagrid? So that would be quite a situation there, buddy. If it were raining Hagrid. Um, and then lastly, one of my favorite. They say, What if it was raining? parachuting cannibals that haven't eaten for 31 days. This is theology. This is good stuff. Among these profound, beautiful answers was the description of tongues. What if it was raining tongues? And then another one was, what if it was raining some type of fire, flaming arrows, but it is so strange and unusual, and we, we if you've been around Acts chapter 2 for a while, you might think, oh, okay, flaming tongues appearing on the heads of the people. You might think, oh, that's normal. That's not normal, right? Guaranteed you've never seen that. If you thought raining tacos was odd, here's odd. And so what's happening in the beginning of Acts chapter 2 is you have this mighty movement from that Christ has sent the spirit and the spirit has come in this mighty movement and it has made everyone go into disarray because you have the people 120 about followers of Jesus that are experiencing this great movement of God and you have thousands of other people on looking just wondering what is going on what does this mean and in this cacophony of confusion you know it's not one person getting up and then the other person it's literally everyone is hearing their own languages spoken out from people's mouths who don't know their language and they're walking around wandering around this incredible beautiful but chaotic scene and in verse 12 in acts chapter 2 there's the first question there'll be two questions in our text that peter addresses The first question is from Acts chapter two, verse 12. Simply, they said, what does this mean? What is going on? And Peter gives this sermon, the sermon that launched the church of Jesus Christ in the world. He gives this sermon to then speak, this is what's happening. And there'll be a second question they will give in response to his message. But this morning we look, At the totality of his message, and we're gonna take it in bite size this morning. First off, we're gonna read Acts chapter 2, 13 to 21. If you'll meet me there, 13 to 21, and then we'll go through it from there. 14 to 21, I'm sorry. Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed the people, men of Judah and all who dwell in Jerusalem. Let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose. It is only the third hour of the day, which is nine in the morning. But this is what has been uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Lord, we come to this text this morning rejoicing in your originality and your creativity. We come and gather as the church because of this text. We come and gather in recognition that what's happening here is not just human moments. What happens is, as your church goes to Guatemala is not just a human thing. As, as the refugee crisis of over 1.3 million people who have left Ukraine with that number growing by the minute, and, and what's happening at the Word of Life camp is they have access to over a hundred of those people to love and care that it's more than just human things going on. We rejoice in your Holy Spirit and we pray for understanding into this sermon of Peter this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So in response to this question, what is going on? The sermon that launched the church, Peter gives this sermon in response to what is happening here. And the first things he's going to say is simply this. What's happening? This Holy Spirit moment has always been a part of the plan. This has always been a part of the plan of the Godhead. In Acts 14 through 21 is Peter not saying, hey, this is a great new idea that Jesus had right before he went up to heaven and he's like, oh, I'm leaving. What are we going to do? So he decided to have a spirit come and like, we're trying to patch things together. We're taking this day at a time. No, what Peter is saying, and in this passage, in this sermon, he quotes three different Old Testament prophecies to again, reiterate, this is not a new story that has come. This is the same story, the same plan that the fiery unity of the Trinity has had all along. It has taken place today, but today has been planned a long time. Secondly, the spirit of God we see in what Peter is saying and talking about this spirit is a powerful they are clearly under the influence of something. This is why there's an accusation, right? I think they might be drinking. There's something else going on that's influencing their behavior. And Peter comes to say, yes, there is another type of influence that's going on. In the, the Acts 2, we see there's a mighty, rushing, powerful wind. Pastor Mark talked about this last week. Fire appearing above their heads and ability to speak language all over the place. This is not people speaking, hey, Siri, you know, translate into Parthenian. This, this is this moment where they are able to speak and understand in a way they could not unless there was something powerful influencing them. In the prophecy of Joel, we see him talk about dreams, visions, prophecies, wonders. The Spirit of God is not just a nice buddy that's come to dwell among men. The Spirit of God is powerful. Third, or letter C, the Spirit of God is now poured out. I love this. The Spirit of God is poured out two different times in the text, uh, the prophecy from Joel in the text. It says in verse 18 and then in verse 21 or I'm sorry, verse 20, that the spirit of God will be poured out. Well, what does being poured out mean? It means that there was something once somewhat contained and has now been poured out. It is contained no longer. Fourth, the activity of the spirit. uh, This Holy Spirit brings union and freedom. Pastor Mark touched on this this last week. Of this passage's connection with Genesis eleven, the Tower of Babel. Tower of Babel. Everyone comes, speaking the same language, same culture. There's this um, all kind. They're like, "Hey, we're going to be like God. We're going to build this tower all the way to heaven." That's totally unrealistic. But they're coming with this egocentric, people-centric. that we are big, we are enough. And what God does, he says, okay, you who are trying to put your little sandbox together, thinking you're something so big, I'm going to help bring about some confusion that will lead you to spread out among the world. And they start speaking to one another and they don't understand because this is when multiple languages come in. And here's a map of what happened Genesis 11, uh, the Tower of Babel. If you can see, this is the dispersion of where Babel was. And then when there was, they realized, hey, I understand this woman, but I have no idea what that dude is saying. And so I'm going to hang out over here. And so people groups come and then they begin to disperse. And the Tower of Babel is the beginning of that dispersion. And we see the separation that happens there. Here at Pentecost, put up the next map if you would, at Pentecost you have the reversal Right? You have the exact opposite thing. And these are the locations that are mentioned in Acts chapter 2. Verse 9 says Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Judea Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and all parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converse Jude- Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear the wonder of God in our own tongues so where there had been separation and exile where there had been this 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 limitation to be able to speak to one another the holy spirit comes and brings what is always in the culture of the holy spirit he brings union and freedom paul says this in corinthians where the spirit of the lord is there is what freedom i can hear in my own language the wonders of God. This is uh, a song that we sang this morning that Joe led us in that is speaking directly of this passage. The stanza was this. The church of Christ was born and the spirit lit the flame. The gospel truth of old, same story, shall not kneel and shall not faint by his blood and in his name, in his freedom I am free. For the love of Jesus Christ, who has resurrected me, praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit, three in one, which leads us to our next point that is so clearly interlaced throughout our text. What Peter is saying is that the Holy Spirit testifies about Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit does not come on an island the holy spirit is the elevation of the spirit is the speaking of the whole godhead in particular you will see the speaking of the spirit talking about christ and then this beautiful dance of father son and spirit that we see laced throughout this whole sermon the spirit comes to testify about christ in 1 john 4 he even says hey if you're experiencing some sort of spirit test the spirit it says this By this, you know, the spirit of God, every spirit that confess Jesus Christ has come from the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus Christ is not from God. What does the spirit do? The Holy Spirit power do confesses the beauty of the Godhead. And this is a beautiful interplay we'll see throughout this text. So first, all that to say, what Peter is saying in the first seven verses is like, "Whoa, I know you guys are confused. I know this feels like raining tacos out here. This is going. This is way different than you imagine, but listen, this is a story from of old. The Holy Spirit has touched down in a way he has never touched down before and has come in a way he has never come before. And he speaks about that spirit. but he does so to jump from that diving board into the pool of the majority of his sermon. The coming of the Holy Spirit has everything to do with Jesus of Nazareth. The sermon pivots at this point in verse 22, and the rest of the sermon is all about Jesus Christ. Yes, let me explain what the Spirit is and who the Spirit is and what's going on. How is this a story from of old? But what is the Spirit coming and all about? Well, let me tell you about Jesus of Nazareth. Um, Read with me verses 22 through 36. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by, by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David. He died and was buried. His tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with him an oath that he would set one of his descendants on the throne, He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ. And he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus, God raised up, we are all witnesses of this, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens. But he himself says the Lord said to my Lord sit at my right hand until I make enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ this Jesus whom you have crucified. As soon as Peter finishes speaking of the activity about explaining the activity of spirit. He anchors his sermon in the person of Christ. Peter will speak five times in the first 10 chapters of Acts. One third of the book of Acts is sermons or teaching. Peter has got a ton in the first half, and then Paul, grand finale's at the second half, right? With some others and some Stevens mixed in. But these are the two primary preachers in the book of Acts, is Peter and Paul. Peter, in the first 10 chapters, speaks five times. every single time he speaks he speaks of the resurrection of Jesus Christ the what is happening in the early part of the church is again peter speaking reminding teaching that this church has everything to do with this person of jesus and what he is saying in this sermon is saying this holy spirit moment that has just happened is about jesus in this sermon, he returns to the prophet David in verses 25 through 28. He also refers to him in verses 34 and 35. This, is, this, this moment in the Spirit is about this Christ. He goes back into the Old Testament again to remind them. Same story, different verse, same story. It's always been about this. The outpouring, Acts 2.33, right here in our passage, of the Spirit has everything to do with the subject matter of Jesus Christ, secondly, It's not just about Jesus. It's not just him loosely involved or him kind of on the subject matter. This Holy Spirit moment that has just happened, Peter says, is through Jesus. The death and resurrection enabled this Holy Spirit to come. Without the sacrifice of of Christ, without the resurrection and power over death, the Spirit would not be unleashed, would not be poured out, but would still be Contained. The coming of Christ marks that the Spirit no longer comes at some times to some people for some messages, but that Spirit that is mostly contained now through the blood and resurrection of Christ coming through the rending of the curtain and the church of Jesus Christ becoming the temple, the holding place of the presence of God. Now the Spirit has been poured out through. This Christ. But what's so cool about this passage is this Holy Spirit moment isn't just through Christ and it isn't just about Christ. This Holy Spirit moment is by Christ. He is not a passive conduit, not just a sacrificial lamb through which the Spirit can come to people. In this passage, very specifically, Peter is saying there is agency from the person Christ of the Godhead that he is the one sending the Spirit. Acts 2.33, Jesus is the one who poured out the Spirit. By the design will of the Father, Jesus is the one who said, Spirit, go. He is the one with the power over the Spirit. And in this passage, as you'll see with Peter in the next messages, he is speaking not just of the wonder of this great man, he is speaking of the deity, the godness of Jesus Christ. You want to know what's happening today? Jesus Christ, through his death and resurrection and his action, poured out, dumped out the Spirit onto the church. Two significant phrases I just want to draw your attention to. One, one is in the prophecy of this, uh, the passage of Jude, um, where Peter quotes. Uh, Peter is quoting Old Testament, using the word Yahweh, the Hebrew word for God, a a, a word that is the same word that when Moses when saw the burning bush and says, who shall you, who shall I say sent me? And he said, Tell me, Yahweh sent you. Is the I am, the great I am, the great God being, this Yahweh. is, is used in Joel and in here is said that Yahweh usage is a message. Whoever calls him the name of the Lord is directly referring to Jesus himself. Luke 24, 49, Jesus says this about himself. Behold, I am sending, I am sending. I am sending the promise of my father upon you but you must remain in the spirit until you've been clothed with power from on high. There's this other phrase also I love. It says this in verse 24. It was impossible for death to hold him down. It was impossible, your translation might say, for death to keep its hold on him. Death just couldn't take it. Um, is Mike in here? I think he goes to the other service. Tell me he's not here. He's not here? He just left. Oh, good. All right. Perfect. Because I'm going to give him some ego strokes and I don't want him here for it. Okay. So I used to do some like running. Okay. And yes, it was a couple pizzas ago. Be nice to me. All right. That wasn't nice to me. All right. So I did some running and, and I run with Mike a little bit. And I hated running with Mike. Cause I'm just imagining, because Mike is a runner. Mike does marathons. He's got pictures of marathoners on his wall. He's got preferences of what are the best running shoes, like all you running snobs, right? And he's a runner. And so I go running. And one time we went running like St. John like monastery area. We just went back. It's in the woods and it's a wonderful spot. And we went running. And so I endured running. And and that's a lot of character points for me, right? To go with a runner and to run. And uh he says afterwards, hey, you want to race? Right? And so, like, I got a couple things happening. One, I don't want to lose. I don't, I don't like taking part in competitions where I know I have no chance, right? Like, I'm not going to go wrestle Pastor Tim, right? Like, yeah, I'm going to pick a fight with a grizzly bear. That sounds awesome. No, just not going to do it, right? So I, when it comes to, like, and Mike says this, this is a little punk. He says, you can start, like, 20 yards ahead. Okay, and I got two decisions now. One, I say, no way, we start here, and he smokes me. Or two, I start 20 yards ahead, and I show him he's a proud punk. I opt for number two. So I go, and I t- we take off running, and we've got a place to go. And now, I'm not fast, but at that time, I was a lot less slow, okay? And so I take off running, and I think, you know, tortoise and the hare, this is going to be his moment, you know, I mean, God, come down, humility, all that stuff. I start running and I am doing the best I can and I'm running the fast as I can and all of a sudden Mike passes me like I was going backwards. And I remember like the feeling of him passing me and the the feeling I thought was like, wow, how God designed the human being in coordinate." No, I wanted to punch him in the back of his neck. The only problem is he was 10 yards ahead before I could even turn around and swing at him, right? It was so annoying to me, still so annoying to me. But, and this was even before he's all like CrossFit, whatever stuff too. But I couldn't, I, and when in that moment, I could have watched Rudy five times the day before, right? I could have put Rocky Four in the earbuds and be like, this is my moment, right? The fact is, is I was not fast enough. I was not strong enough. I was not powerful in the leg running thing enough. And I'm devaluing it on purpose to beat him in a race. I couldn't hold him back no matter what. If he would have given me 30 yards, I would just be 30 yards embarrassed today. Right. But no matter what, I do not have the capacity, did not have the capacity to possibly hold Mike back from beating me. What Peter is going through and saying in this passage, he's not belittling the power of death. Death would take Peter too. Death would have taken Peter's family and descendants and people he loved. He would have known people who have died from disease and pain. He would see people who, who will be martyred for their testimony. He knows the power of death. And yet he says this about this Christ very simply. Oh, it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Death was not powerful enough to bury him for long. The stone not strong enough to hold him. That The thing that held him there was not enough to keep him down. What Peter is saying in this testimony to the very beginning of the church is that Jesus has power. Jesus did not come to just be a good example, to start a nice movement. He had not come to just show a path or be a wise sensei. What he is coming to do is conquer the grave. And it. Peter is saying, and it wasn't even close to a fair fight. And I know when we're talking about our own stories and our own pain and our own confusions and our own things that keep us down, there's so many things where we feel like we can just say, I just can't do it. I just can't face it. I just can't stop it. I just can't take it. I can't find the strength. I can't muster the courage. I can't bear to hope. And you might be sitting there and say, listen, preacher, where are you going? Because you don't know the size of my pain. You don't know what I'm trying to overcome in my story. You don't know the weight of the family secret that I carry. What I would simply say to you is the treasure of this, this New Testament that we're looking at is that there is a deep acknowledgement that human suffering is real. It is complex. It is devastating. But it is impossible for death to hold on when Christ is there. Jesus said, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. What does this mean? This means if you have faith in Jesus Christ, your witness in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your family, it's not how good you're being with good behavior or a way or talking people into like understanding what your uh, uh, giant perspective is on the things of the world. No, the testimony is the same as Peter. It has everything to do with the person of Jesus Christ, not about the movement of Christianity, but asking simply the question, what are you going to do with Jesus? First question they ask verse 12, what does this mean? And now we come to the second question that Peter responds to in verse 37. Verse 37, read with me to the end to 42. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brother, what sh- brothers, what shall we do? Your translation might say accepted his word were baptized and they were added that day, 3,000 souls. I love this. First thing, what does this mean? Peter says, I'll tell you what it means. It means this is the incredible Holy Spirit that has come and this Holy Spirit has everything to do with the witness of Jesus Christ who's died and raised again. And then they said, okay, you catch the question? Second question what shall we do? What shall we do? And this is where like, it's a little, I want you to hear me right here. And I, and I know I can't control that. And so, um, I have no desire right now to try to manipulate or to like force anything upon you, like to, to try to like coerce you or, or cleverly get you to, to think something you don't think. But we can't look at this passage and actually say, how do we apply this passage and not allow room for God to work? Because when people said, how do we apply these words, Peter? What do we do? Peter says, I'll tell you what you do. He says, you turn and you trust. Whole aspect of repentance is simply the aspect of turning. Right, saying, hey, I'm going my own way. It's not working out. I need Jesus. I need to come to his way, his truth, his freedom. That is what means to turn into trust, is to say, I'm not, I'm not gonna trust my mechanisms of control. I'm not gonna trust my ways of figuring this out. I'm not gonna trust myself for my salvation of my soul. I'm not going to trust myself to get out of this behavior on my own. I'm not going to trust myself to be freed from this sense of loss and grief by myself. I'm going to turn and I'm going to do the brave thing called trust. And I love the words he uses in this final passage of what do we do? What do we do? Brothers, what do we do? And he says, you receive you accept and it's for you it's for your kids it's for anyone who calls off there's a painting that's meant a lot to me uh recently and i'm i'm not a super big painting guy and please don't like forgive any pretense you feel here but the um a couple weeks ago i was tired of my spirit and i heard of an author i really appreciated really appreciated this painting and I just, I ended up getting it and spending time with it. And it's meant a lot to me. This painting is by Andrea Rublev. He's a, uh, right around the 14th to the 15th century painter. And he paints this scene, which is now the most significant and most famous and most cited painting about the Trinity that we have in church history. And, and there's a number of things about this painting we could talk about, but a couple of things that, uh, very meaningful to me. Um, first, is this the first time in church history the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all portrayed as similar beings, right? You might have some other pieces of art that have the Holy Spirit as, as the water and the Christ of the Son or, or different types of beings or, or different types of animals because, right, the Trinity, when we're talking about the Trinity, we're talking about an ocean of meaning, It is shallow enough to play in, to understand a little bit. It is also deep enough that we'll be exploring it forever, right? So this Trinity, this is the first time that is depicted like this, that the Trinity is of uh, similar beings, that each one is God. Actually, the blue contains, the blue is the signification um, of their deity, God. The second thing I want to mention about this painting that means a lot to me is the perspective. It looks a little wonky. If you look at the little footstools down there, the perspective is a little funny. And another thing is the Christ figure, he's the one in the center, is back farther, but he doesn't look smaller, right? But perspective is that. And, and the way we look at Western art is this way. The Western art is portrayed this way. If you show the next image, is that we see the the painting is supposed to follow our lines and our eyes of perspective. Right? It's the whole idea of like you see the the expanse of the road and it goes into the distance. Why? Because I, as a viewer, am viewing a scene from my eyeballs. This particular painting and some others like it have a different type of perspective. It's this. It's actually given from the perspective of being inside the painting. The angles look funny because the angles are not meant to be viewed from a distance, the angles are not meant to be viewed. As an outsider, the angles, and you can go the next slide, which brings us back to it. The angles are meant to be viewed as if you were sitting at the table. This morning, we're just gonna have a simple some moments of where the Holy Spirit might do his work. I don't know what God's going doing in your story. And as I look at what Peter's talking about, neither did Peter. My guess is whatever he's doing in the story, it didn't start when the music started this morning. There's been, a, there's been a calling towards you. An invitation that has been coming. A, a, an invitation to come. You need to, you need to turn from what devices you're trying to live in your life. What you're trying to put, get things by. Trying to get to, whether it's by trying to get to heaven by. Or you're just trying to get through the week by. And it's not functioning well. And what you need is a little bit less of you. And you need the power of Jesus Christ. And this morning, simply following what the text is saying with the Trinity laced throughout this whole text, you are invited into the dance of God. The fellowship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're going to give um, just a couple moments this morning If Joe. Where's Joe? Joe is with Mike. I don't have anything nice to say about Joe, so I actually want him here. Again, we're just going to give some moments to respond in honor of the text because that's it. If the Holy Spirit is getting a hold of you, Holy Spirit says, less of you, you need more of Christ. Going to just give you a few moments to spend time with him, whether that's for the very salvation of your soul that you needed to be added to the number of the church, or maybe you're a part of the church. And you're living on your own. You're living um, a functional atheism. And you need to, in your story, in this moment, spend some time to return. Just going to give you a couple of moments and then Joe will close our time.
1: The church of Christ was born, and the Spirit lit the flame. This gospel truth of old shall not kneel, it shall not faint. By His blood and in His name, and in His freedom I am free. For the love of Jesus Christ, who has resurrected me. Praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit, free in one. God of glory, majesty, praise forever to the King of kings. the Father, praise the Son, and praise the Spirit. God we're going to keep singing you're so, good. <laughs> oh God, you're so good Oh God you're so good No God you're so good You're so good to me one more time No oh God you're so good to us no god you're so good oh god you're so good you're so
0: We never want to lead a church. It doesn't have room for the spirit of God. Amen. And so here's what I would say. If the spirit is doing anything in your life today, if the spirit is asking something of you today to turn and to trust in the next 60 minutes, I want you to tell somebody in the next 60 minutes. And you say, well, mine wasn't very big. You know what I mean? Well, The Holy Spirit's doing it. It's big enough. If you don't have anyone you're here with this morning, and you're like, "That's part of my loss and fear and pain," is I don't have anyone. I or the other pastors would love to talk with you. May you receive this blessing as we go from here this morning. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. We are dismissed.